Hi, thanks for tuning in to High on Horror. I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to all the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. There's movies that just give you chills when you think of them, and that's what today's film that we're discussing does for me. The film we're talking about is the southern gothic slow burn What Josiah Saw. This is one of those movies that you have to see for yourself, but we're going to go as deep as we can into it, and then we're talking with the director, Vincent Rochelle, who's our guest here today. We're going to pick his brain in an exclusive interview. All that and more today on High on Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. And uh, you know the drill. Uh, we always start off these episodes by getting baked, so it's time for Strain Wreck, the segment of our show where we discuss what's strained, we're getting wrecked on, and the current events in horror. Uh, John, what do we got today, man? What are we smoking? Okay, this is a cross. Uh, I see from here that there's a, it looks orange. There's a lot of orange hairs on it. I can see that. Yeah, there's some orange hairs. It's like a light green. Um, it, it's a low THC. Well, I'm sorry. Actually, it's I don't know why I said it was low. It's a... Uh, it's a little higher than average, 19%, but it's a cross between pink cookies and triple OG. It's called Three in the Pink. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking lying, dude. There it is. Oh my God. What? Hold on, let me look at the label. <laughs> Yo, I know when you were picking out strains, you deliberately right? were like, yeah. Yeah. I, had, I had to get that. <laughs> So wait, so wait, I gotta, is there a is there like a sister strain that's like one in the stink? Maybe, <laughs> or maybe it's two in the stink, three in the pink. You just go Vulcan with a thumb. Anyway, uh, like I said, it's a cross between pink cookies was the mother and triple OG was the father. Uh, it's a strong, relaxing high. Which kind of almost sounds like an oxymoron when you say it out loud, but it makes sense. It's got like a, I'm smelling like a lemon lime. Do I want it's like yeah. a kind of like a lemony, yeah, lemongrass. Yeah, it's got that like citrus. Yeah, uh, citrus is a good word. This yeah. is another one that uh, like last week and make it make it tingly, tingly <laughs> focused and creative. It's interesting, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it gives you a big time body high. Uh, it's good for the. Uh, it's pretty good for at night, so hopefully we don't just like fall asleep with this. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, hopefully not. Uh, it I'm says good. to expect I'm a wired. spicy herbal and citrus terpene profile. Damn. Well, um, you know, I was going to say that uh, uh, there's this new documentary called uh, The Rise of the Synths. And it's narrated by uh, John Carpenter, right? Well, it's uh, yeah, I saw that. I didn't want to pay for it though. Well, it's uh, the, the uh, it's about quote the rise of the since traverses nine <laughs> countries, interviewing the scene's biggest stars and original trailblazers. <laughs> the film explores the roots of the now breakout synthwave scene, charting its humble online and underground beginnings to its impact on today's pop culture. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, it looks good. I didn't even know you had to pay for it. I just saw an article about it and thought, hey, this looks... Maybe it's on a service I don't have, but I remember... How long has it been out? Cause I, feel I think like... it just came out, man. I just Or saw maybe it. I was seeing ads for it, but <clears throat> it's like... Uh, there's another documentary I want to see, but every time I'm like, I'm not paying for it. It's uh, the one about Tony Hawk uh, video <laughs> games. It was like oh, yeah. about about the rise and like follow those. What was the, what were those games called again, man? Uh, the Tony Hawk. It's like Tony Hawk's uh, pro, pro skate. Pro skate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like the because uh, it talks about like how popular punk music became for a little while because of the soundtrack. Okay, but uh, yeah, that's another one. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not paying three dollars to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's so many documentaries that I'm like, I want to watch that, and then they're just saved in my list forever. Because every time I'm like, ah, every time I, I in theory, I want to watch it. Yeah. But in practice, every time I'm like, I don't want to watch it. Well, here's the thing: I have no problem. But I want to see this. But I want to pay money. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say was I have no problem. If I want to see something, I have no problem paying for it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to kill what I love and steal it or whatever like that. But like, you know, I'm bootlegging. Like, I will pay for it if I want to see it bad enough. But it has to be something that I really, really want to see. And the thing with that is like, really, it's a waiting game and a patience thing. Because it's like, even when you do pay for it, say you want to like, oh, I'll pay for the streaming service to get it or i'll pay to rent it it's going to be available later in a couple months on some other streaming service for free and i'm I always i'm like damn i could have just waited and not paid for it Tony so Hawk that's the thing with paying for way. shit is like you know like you're gonna get me later and give it to me for free like i might as well wait and so i can imagine that it affects rentals but i have no problem paying for something if i really want to see it but i don't think i would pay to see this i'll, I'll wait for it to be on like netflix or if it ever goes whatever I'll, I'll i'll see it at some point but i don't think i'll pay to rent it in theory and i think it's <coughs> streaming that has done this to me is this i i don't know if this is weird or not i don't want to pay for a documentary i understand that because i feel like in theory i'm gonna watch it that one time maybe one other time if somebody else wants to watch it so i feel like and it's funny because usually documentaries are cheaper but every time i'm just like i don't want to pay for it i'd rather just watch whatever documentaries are on this streaming service or that yeah, streaming service. yeah i get it i get it and like i said that tony hawk when i thought the same thing it's been out i think maybe two years I've never seen a pop-up on a streaming service, <laughs> and it's frustrating because that's what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm not going to pay the $3, and then next week it's free on Netflix. You're just waiting for it, right? But right. God damn, it was never free. <laughs> well, okay, so hold on. So moving on from that. Um, oh, yeah, but are you going to check check that? If, if it was free, would you watch it? I, oh, I'll, 100%. I'll that's it. what I said. Yeah. yeah, if it was free, I'd watch it. But it's My nothing. Fault. There's been a it's, lot of weed. It's not that uh, I'm against paying for a particular. It's just I'm not signing up for another streaming service. And I, I'm, I'm not going to keep getting baited with all these new, like, oh, this this has that. So let's, you know, pay for this. It's like, I'm, I'm good. You know, like, I'll, I'll come across it, but I'm not going to pay for it. But uh, what I really wanted to talk about that uh, we haven't talked about on the air yet is the uh, American remake of the Austrian horror film Goodnight Mommy. Uh, Good Night Mommy is such a fucked up movie. I was a champion of that movie since it came out. Uh, that movie is fucked up. And, you know, now I'm apprehensive about this due to the fact that all of these brutal foreign films are getting such docile remakes in the U.S. Like Martyrs and Inside, they were a fucking joke. And uh, this one's directed by Matt Sobel. He's new. He hasn't really done anything yet like because he's kind of like just like a short film type of thing, dude. But uh, that makes me, you know, uh, it makes me a little confident that... Uh, Maybe he can pull it off because a lot of uh, new people, young guys stepping into horror, tend to have a, they tend to have like a decent eye for it. You know what I mean? But um, it's kind of like also it makes me apprehensive because it's like he hasn't done anything yet. So I want to give him a chance, you know. And I don't know. Um. Yeah, but we have also seen a lot of people. I mean, just from guests we've had on the podcast. How many of them have come from short films and then made, made, made that jump 
to feature them. That's what I'm saying. He, he might just yeah. need this one movie to break out, you know, and this could be it, but it's just also like... It has Naomi Watts in it. You're trusting, yeah, you're trusting a, a great movie in the hands of someone new, so I hope it's in good uh, hands. But, um, yeah, it looks like they're trying to stay faithful to the original, which is about two sons whose mother gets out of the hospital with her face bandaged up from a surgery she had done. But the longer the boys stay around her, the more they start to figure out that it's not their mother under the bandages. Someone yeah. else came home from the hospital. It's, it's a good ass movie. Yeah, but and has a fucking wild twist ending. We, uh, I feel I don't know because I feel like here in the states we're a little conservative when it comes to horror cer- with kids, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel yep. like. Yeah, when you started uh, get, getting me to watch like European, I was like, "Fuck!" They actually went there. Yeah, like, like kids are on the block. They literally are on the chopping block. <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah, yeah we um, were, I mean, we were talking about uh, last week for episode three. I mean, we can talk about it now because it's out. Uh, trying to think of the movie and had, had, had the kid at the table. Why? Why can't I remember? Um, he comes back from. Had the kid Dead. from the table. What? What are you talking about? You said it was from the hundred and one scariest. Okay. Oh, uh, terrified. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Terrified. I don't know how I forget terrified. That, with, yeah. With, I just didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, you don't see that shit in, with Americans. Like, and and the kid shit is creepy, and that's why, like, yeah. you know, all this shit that's creepy is it's foreign. It's because they involve fucking kids. But uh, how many kids? Eighties and nineties kids with Pet Cemetery with Gage. That shit was creepy. Yeah. A hundred percent, and uh, but no, the the final shot of the original Goodnight Mommy totally left me speechless. You know, uh, it really did. Uh, so I hope the remake doesn't suck, man. I well, really I, do. I hope. Yeah. I don't have a have a whole lot of faith. All right. Well, I'm gonna hit this now. Why don't you move us along? Damn. <laughs> so we tank got a screaming room for you this week. So uh, we're just gonna get right into horror history. <laughs> this week in horror history. All uh, right. Speaking of Naomi Watts, uh, she celebrates a birthday this week on September twenty eighth. Uh, same as Nicole's. Oh, very cool. Very cool. And uh, Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers, September 29th, nineteen ninety five. Uh, and we're actually going to talk about this movie later on. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that worked out that it landed on uh, this episode on horror history. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you got that, and you got the producer's cut. <laughs> And as I said, for some reason, I go with the shittier version and always put on the producer's cut when I watch it, for the most part. You're a glutton for punishment, man. (laughs) And uh, Reggie Bannister, who plays Reggie in the Phantasm film, celebrates a birthday on the 29th. Okay, happy birthday. Uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, celebrates an anniversary on September 30th, 1988. And uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Both of those are fantastic horror comedies, man. I need to watch Tucker and Dale again soon. I'm gonna put Dude, that on my Halloween list. I was, I think it might have been on my Halloween list last year for horror comedy, because I've been trying to get Nicole to watch it for the longest time. Because she was like, "This movie looks stupid. I have no interest." And then she watched it and liked it. <laughs> and I like how uh, you know Reggie Bannister. You mentioned Reggie from the Phantasm films. I feel like now when you hear Reggie, it's like sounds like an insult with today's <laughs> slang. Like in a remake uh, of Phantasm, he'd be called loud. <laughs> <laughs> Oh jeez, uh, the late Dan O'Bannon, wrote, who wrote Alien and wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead, would be seventy-six years old today on September thirtieth. Legend. And uh, then October first, which is a Saturday, a Saturday, 
a Saturday, a couple of classic celebrate anniversaries, Night of the Living Dead, 1968, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974, and Hatchet 2 in 2010. You know what? Um, I'm going to add Texas Chainsaw and Night of the Living Dead to my Halloween list. I'm feeling like watching all of these movies again. Like That time of year is kicking in, my friend. You know, where, you know... Uh, it's, I gotta finalize I'm in the mood to watch list. all of these. Um, which would you pick if you had to pick Texas Chancellor Mass- Massacre or Night of the Living Dead? Which would you pick? Oh, man. That's a fucked up question. You know, I watched Night of the Living Dead. Was it this season Joe Bob did it? Yeah. Uh, I believe it was. Se- yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was, it was I this had, had last. Nicole watch it with me. And- <clears throat> there are times where it feels like that movie drags on. Not like, you know, for extended yeah. periods, but sometimes it's just like, okay, just you two arguing a lot. Yeah. With you, with you over-exaggerated <laughs> punches. I get that. But, I mean, they're still both good. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Kill Me, I think it's a little overrated. Yeah. Um, I, I've said that before. I do. I, I, I agree. But if you're asking me... Which one's better? I would say Night of the Living Dead. Which one would I watch more? Texas Chainsaw. That's fair. That's probably what I would say. Like Texas Chainsaw is the easier watch, so it's something more to put on, like in the background while you're like you know doing shit or smoking or whatever. But I feel like if you wanted to watch a movie, you would put on Return uh, Return of the Living Dead. Really, I mean Night of the Living Dead. I feel like you'd put that on if you wanted to actually sit down and pay attention yeah. to a movie. Uh, so yeah, I think that'll uh, clear up our history for this week. And uh, it's time to get into PPA, segment of our show where you listeners send us in questions through all the social media platforms at High on Horror 420 or through email at High on Horror 420 at gmail.com. And uh, you can always submit it through our website, High on Horror.com. All right, our uh, first Puff Puff Ask question comes from Phil from Arizona. Zona. He uh, wanted to know. Does he know Josh? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he's one of Josh's Arizona's a small Josh. state. They probably know each other. Right. <laughs> well, um, if you do, say hi. Um, <laughs> say hey. Well, uh, Phil wanted to know if when we watch the Friday the 13th films, if we have to watch them in order. And uh, my answer is nope. Uh, I think most fans are on the same page, right? Where like we've seen them so much that we don't need to see them in order. And There's very little connectivity through the majority of the series that's what yeah exactly a lot of them aren't cohesive to the next one anyway and if Um, there is connections usually it's it's very small like even tommy jarvis that's literally the only connection is it's just tommy jarvis that's the only like set of films that followed a story yeah like the same story but um that's what's great about them you can just walk in on any one of them at any part and sit back and enjoy like i could come home from work and be like, oh, Friday the 13th, part four is left, and there's 40 minutes left. Cool, I'm going to sit down and chill to it. You know, like, I usually make sure that the final chapter, part three, and uh, part three, and the new blood make it into my rotation. Like, those are my three go-tos. But uh, I, I don't really watch them in any order, but those are the ones I neglect the least, I'd say. I do blood, I probably neglect. Um, like, like I've told you, the real series is just up to Manhattan. Yeah. So, so just basing it on those nine. The one I probably watch the least is five and seven. Five and seven. But, uh, I mean, no, I, I do not need to watch them in order. I was thinking about, like, 
I talk about like my earliest memories with Jason were part six as a kid. And I was th- like trying to think back. Like, I don't remember being a kid watching part six and go, this is confusing. Like I didn't need yeah, to yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent. It makes total sense. Obviously there's a little bit of a backstory of Jason being dead, but like it didn't confuse me even as like a six year old kid watching it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just usually, if I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch a Friday the 13th, I randomly pick. Although a couple years... But do you watch them out of order? That's yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. watching them in like a... Fr- I'll, in a I'll just in a concession, be like... Or in yeah, a con- just, I mean, in succession. <laughs> in concession. Would you watch them in like in any like a block of like two yeah. or three? Like, do you watch them? Like, does it have to be like three I've four, literally five, watched or, three you know, and one, then two, gone three. back and watched two after I watched three. Same. A hundred percent. I'm like, this was kind of stupid, but whatever. <laughs> but the thing is, like, the thing is, AMC and uh, those channels do shit like that too, where it'll be like Halloween 6 at 7 o'clock p.m. and then at 9.30 p.m. It'll be like Halloween four. You're like, what? What the fuck happened to five? <laughs> yeah. Especially on AMC's overnight when it hits like one or two in the morning, it'll <laughs> yeah. just get weird. Yeah. Um, I don't need to watch them in any kind of order, at all, really. Okay. And I still, every time I get a chance, I'll stick up for it. Jason takes me and Adam's awesome. I don't care. Part eight. Yeah. I mean, uh, but no, you like uh, we have to do an episode of uh, Jason takes Manhattan. No, we have to do an episode of Jason Goes to Hell. Ugh. That's your movie. No. No. So here's the thing. I'll say this real quick while we're talking about Jason. Now's the perfect time. Can we so, talk about allegory instead? So my son wanted to see Jason. He wanted to like, uh, he, he, was, he heard me talking to um, my wife about uh, Jason X. And uh, he's, you know, he's curious. He's young. He knows who the characters are, but he does not know like, what they do. He just thinks they're cool looking. He's into monsters and cool looking things. And he thinks Jason looks cool. And he saw like a picture that I have. Of uh, Jason X, like the mask, and he's like, "Is that Robot Jason? Can I see Robot Jason?" <laughs> robot Jason. So I was like, "Sure, man." You know, so <clears throat> I wasn't gonna let him watch the movie, you know, but I fast forwarded to like the scene when he like f- Jason first walks into the doorway, and everybody's kind of looking at him, and the camera kind of one up, one ups him, you know, kind of gives him the once over, like head to toe, and you see him. That's all I let him watch. But um, the thing that really got to me, man, was I was fast forwarding through that movie to get to the part where it shows fucking Space Jason or. Uh, why am I not thinking of uh? Why am I not thinking of what he's called? Uber J- Jason. Uber Jason. There we go. Um, I, my point is, I had to fast forward to get to this part to show my son like a clip of him, and I did not realize, dude. It's after like the hour and five minute mark, in an hour and f- uh, like less than an hour and a half movie that he is in that suit. And I'm like, that is the thing for me now that I've realized that I've never realized that before, but now. It's like, that's why Jason X sucks so bad. That's why it's not one of those like popcorn movies that I think other people try to make it out to be because it fucking drags. If it's going to be a ridiculous movie about him in space, we should not have to fucking wait over an hour into the movie <laughs> to get to see him in space. Like, like just fucking get to it already. Like, uh, so it's like, I think that I actually have switched my opinion. I think I like Jason Goes to Hell more than Jason X now because like while Jason Goes to Hell might, you know, be week it at least like gets to the point and gets moving and it's not just uh it, it doesn't it, it's yeah it's it's it is what it is the whole way through so i'm gonna i think that my opinion switched it dude you can't be a slow burn a jason x i mean jason can't be a slow burn i mean i guess there's kills in between and you can't really say it's a slow burn but i mean you can't take that long to get to the point like in a slasher movie it just it, it's, it's that's fair you know, i kind of rambled yeah, I think. Yeah, I think we've talked a while about Jason. 
Uh, so we'll just move on. Uh, Sarah Blood. Sarah Blood. Okay. Sarah Blood. That's how you gotta say it. <laughs> from Instagram. I'm just always taking the ones from Instagram. I'm lazy. So she's obsessed with Spirit Halloween and asks if we've gone to Spirit Halloween yet, and what do we look for when we go? I mean, I was going to say, do you mean Spirit Halloween in general or just like this year? In general, yeah, this year there's been so many times that I'm like, oh, I should go. And then I'm like, I'm too tired. I don't feel like going. And when I go, I don't have anything that I'm particularly looking for. Yeah. I just kind of go and I'm just like, what shit do they have? Right. And then I'm surprised. Like, was it probably about two or three years ago? They had a lot of Halloween stuff. Not yeah, Halloween the movie, Halloween not the just movie, like obviously they have a lot of Halloween stuff. <laughs> um, I was gonna say I think I mentioned this on a prior episode when we were talking, but uh, I told you that my son, who uh, Abel, is gonna be uh, Shorty the Killer Clown this Halloween. Um, and it's funny because I, I have to go to Spirit Halloween. I'll be going for uh, his um costume. Um, but he uh, he I, I figured out that they have Shorty masks that would fit him that are small enough. Um. But the costume, like the smallest, was like a small and adult. You know what I mean? So it was way too big for him still. But then I found like a loophole where Spirit Halloween sells killer clowns from outer space pajamas. Where it's like the pajamas are like the costumes. And they have kid sizes. Okay. And and even my wife was like, yeah, she's like, you know what? And then he can just keep the pajamas and still wear them after Halloween. So so I got that planned out. And the only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get him some boxing gloves. We're going to do the boxing glove shorty thing. But um, when I go there, I look for everything. I mean, I go for costumes for my kids, but I look for cups, blankets, toys, signs, magnets, everything. I I have to tell Nicole when we go in, like, this is my, what I'm spending. Don't let me go over this amount. Like, just cut me (laughs) off and tell me I've spent too much money here. Because... There's I'm so much shit I could buy. It's the only store I'm like that too. Yeah, dude, I've gotten better at that. Like I used to want to buy everything, and now that you know I have kids, and I'm like, you know, I'm looking at stuff, and I'm like, man, I have like eighty dollars worth of shit, and my kid has thirty dollars worth of stuff, and then I'm like, do I really need eighty dollars worth of stuff? It's, it's making me yes. question things, you know. <laughs> like I'm like, you know, but uh, there's still like the kid in me that just wants to buy fucking everything, but. I'm, I'm on the same level with you. I usually try to match what my, what my kids get. If my wife buys a bunch of shit, too, she'll be buying blankets and cups. Like, there's, like, uh, thermal, thermal cups and stuff. So she gets stuff like that. And then I'll be like, all right, well, if everybody else is getting about 30 bucks of stuff, I'm going to throw in, like, maybe 50, $50 of stuff for yeah. me, you know? I'm the bigger horror fan. I should right? get a little bit more. That's not, fair. You know, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't been there yet this season. It's Not yet, no, but I'll be going in probably a week or two. Yeah, I thought there was one when we were down in Dover, but like thinking about Halloween, and I was thinking about like, damn, I know how much my parents were spending on me on Halloween, and I'm like, it's the equivalent to the price now. So I'm like, how much more <laughs> expensive was it back like 20 years ago, like 20, 25 years ago? Because yeah, I remember, I like, I still remember my dad bought me a Michael Myers mask, and that thing was $40, and that back, was back dude, in the I mid-90s. Know. Trick or Treat Studios, the thing is, Trick or Treat Studios make some good products, but it's like, they suffer, like, quality, quality, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, the quality issues. They have, they have a real quality uh, check, QC, quality check, there we go. They, they have a real quality check issue where, like, they'll post a picture, and it'll be like, dude, that is, like, the nicest Michael Myers mask I've ever seen, and then you get it. And it's that mask that you saw 
on the picture that you order on their website or through other websites, but there's so many things that need to be done to it now to make it look like it did in that picture. The hair won't be right, or the paint jobs. Yeah, like why the fuck it was the 2018 Myers mask? They killed the sculpt, but why was the stock paint job when you go in to buy it? Why is it like cigarette smoke yellow? <laughs> cigarette smoke. Yeah, it's like, it's like so. There was uh, the whole thing was like it's like so yeah, it's kind of smoker like, balls. You have these people out there that that buy. Uh, that, that make masks that, you know Instagram and other places like they make masks and they're good at it and it's like you know everybody's like oh you're paying $150 for a mask though or $200 for a mask and that's a lot and Trick or Treat Studios only charges 45 or 50 and it's like yeah that's fair enough but if you're going to end up having to send it away to someone to have it customized and painted and paying all these extra fees anyway why not just fucking buy the custom one if the mask that they show you looks like Halloween 1 when you get it it's going to look like Halloween 4 <laughs> that's a problem that's a real problem uh, so we jump from uh, Spirit Halloween which is ripping the quality of Michael Myers mask so uh, I think I think we're about done here now let's get into uh, our review of what Josiah saw like we said last week we're going to tell you what Josiah saw <laughs> actually we're not gothic genre has been around a long time. The 1764 novel The Castle of Otranto by Horace Walpole is considered by the consensus to be the first step into the gothic genre. 18th century. <laughs> and uh, since then, lit- literature has been littered with it, thrived on it. Think of Edgar Allan Poe, even if he did become popular after his death. He was a gothy boy. You know, uh, looking back into history, there's some paintings that are considered goth, like the flight into Egypt by Giotto that was painted in the early 1300s. Gothic has spilled into cinema as well. And uh, as to be expected, uh, some of horror's earliest films were German, German expressionist horror films like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Nosferatu in the early 1920s. Yeah, if you think about it, I mean, since the early days of cinema, the goth been there yeah i mean uh in 1931 uh the u.s got into goth cinema with uh dr jekyll and mr hyde uh interesting enough gothic didn't reach australian cinema until 1975 with a picnic at hanging rock which is about a group of students who go missing on a camping trip check it out if you haven't seen it but yeah even fucking uh frankenstein goth yeah. frankenstein's goth i mean a lot of it is yeah um, pause. Are you going to mention the witch in the lighthouse? No? Okay. <clears throat> Man, <laughs> then you have your southern gothic horror films like Night of the Hunter from 1955 and The Deliverance from 1972. The Skeleton Key remake from 2005 and others. Today's film and discussion, What Josiah Saw, is a mix of both gothic and southern horror. In the vein of uh, Marrowbone and Frailty, starring the late Bill Paxton and Matthew McConaughey, uh, Frailty is the one that I think stands as the best comparison uh, to What Josiah Saw, both deal in heavy childhood traumas and the way those traumas are coped with or not and how it affects you when you're older on top of adding a mysterious supernatural potential uh, to the mix of how traumas or the people that caused you traumas haunt you. However, uh, what Josiah saw separates itself from the pact because it's a slow burn. 
and not many of these southern or gothic or I'm sorry, not many of these gothic or southern gothic horror films are slow burns. But what Josiah saw infuses the slow burn technique into the southern gothic genre, and what you get is something truly special that keeps you on your goddamn toes for nearly two hours. John, take us through it. What Josiah saw is a 2021 American Southern Gothic horror film directed by Vincent Grishaw. Uh, the film stars Robert Patrick, Nick Stahl, Scott Hayes, Kelly Garner, and Tony Hale. Robert Patrick is amazing as the patriarch Josiah. He's just an overbearing piece of shit, which I have to <laughs> say, like, Robert Patrick has nailed being just a scummy-ass dad. Like, yeah. this, when he was uh, Johnny Cash's dad... <laughs> like he, he's good at just being an asshole he could turn it on for sure and uh the graham family have spent two decades uh separated from each other and they're reuniting to possibly sell the farmhouse uh josiah believed the family must right a great wrong and pay for their sins uh josiah is still at home he still stays at the family uh uh farmhouse yeah. with his son thomas played by scott hayes and eli and mary uh, they have not been around the family. They've kind of been separated from them. And like you said, it's a slow burn. And it, it slow burns for a long time. You <laughs> told me before I watched it that you watched it and noticed that there was 25 minutes left. And you had no idea what was going on. So I already knew that going in. Yeah. And when I was watching it with Nicole, I'm going, I said, well, Drew told me he didn't know with 25 minutes like what was going on how much was left i mm -hmm. said let me see how much time's left there was 15 minutes left and i was like <laughs> wow this is less than what drew had and i'm now i have the same question 15 minutes with credits yeah and i'm like how the fuck is this gonna wrap up i see you told me that at 25 and i'm like i'm 10 minutes past that and i'm still like what the fuck um robert patrick as an actor period i don't think he gets enough credit yeah uh, I agree. He brings it in everything he's in, whether the the project he's in turns out good or not. You can't fault his performance. Uh, uh, you know, and, and it's funny you say that. Real quick, I'm going to be a geek real quick and talk about Terminator Two. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have um, no problem talking about it. So we know. Uh, so the whole thing, people actually uh, misjudged him, and I, I know that you've heard the thing, the, the the saying too, or people saying this because you grew up as me, like with that movie with Terminator Two, where people were always like, oh, you know, like they sped that up to make him run that fast when he's when the T1000 is chasing John Connor on the motorbike, and they're like, you know, everybody always said that back in the day, like he's not that fast, he's not that fast. They sped that up there's no way he's that fast yada yada the truth behind the situation is this is fact this is from robert patrick's mouth on the first take he fucking caught the bike and john uh, james cameron the director had to go had to cut and go okay well we can't have you run as fast as you can because if you do <laughs> the world's gonna end so he literally was running slower than he could in those scenes so he was not being sped up he was actually slowing himself down that's wild so yeah he's a great i fucking mean he actor. had them high hands going that's wild <laughs> Was his hands, man, just yeah, fucking right? throwing them. <laughs> and I feel like he got pigeonholed for a bit of just being like another action movie guy. Yeah, but he's but a like really he's good just another actor. Dolph Lundgren. We can't give him anything with any teeth to it. Uh, agreed, agreed. And I feel like maybe for me, the first one I saw him outside of the action movies was playing in while well, walked the line a Johnny Cash biopic. And I was like, damn. Cause I'm like, every time I see him, I'm sure you do the same thing. I just go, oh, shit. It's a team 1000. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you're just like, oh, I'll watch it, you know? And, uh, 
But no, man, and, and this movie, what Drew's I saw, this is unlike anything he's ever done before. I don't think he has anything like this on his, like, filmography. Yeah, there's some uh, really intense scenes that'll get brought up in the interview as well. But, yeah, I mean, good, good, good. Good for him taking a role like this. Like, Yeah. And, and you um, also, you mentioned Eli, who's played by Nick Stahl. And actually, it's funny because uh, I believe due to COVID, I believe was the reasoning. But uh, Vincent Grishaw, it was either COVID or scheduling or both. But uh, director Vincent Grishaw actually didn't meet Nick Stahl until like he was on set for his first scene. Oh, wow. Yeah. Also Terminator. Yeah, Terminator 3, right? Terminator 3. And he's also in a movie, Bully. Have, have you ever seen that? I've never seen Bully, but I actually looked it up after talking to you, and it seems like I would want to check it out. It seems good. It seems like uh, something I'd want to see. It, it would have been bought on my Voodoo a while ago, but they only offer standard. Okay. They haven't updated even to like HD. It's literally oh, only in standard def. Your DVD ain't good enough for Dude, you. Dude, no like more. I said, and I brought, I bring it up in the, I bring it up with you. Dude, I saw that movie when I was like 16 one night, couldn't sleep from school, like. It was like, I'm sure you had like like some movies when you were a teenager that you're like, damn, a movie can like do that, mm-hmm. like, like, yeah. like 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 it blew my mind as a teenager that Definitely. like a, that a movie could like tell like a story like that powerful. Yeah, I feel you. And it's based on a true story, but uh, the only other person I know in it is well, it was it's Nick Stahl, Brad Renfro, and I never remember the guy from uh, Mean Girls. The, uh, the gay friend. Uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I, I can't remember his name, but he's yeah. in it too. He plays a weird dude in that too. <laughs> um, yeah, I I would I would give this movie like a like a nine point one. Nice, like nice. It, it, it's really good. Like I said, man, there's not many movies that I can see like 15 minutes left. I'm thinking maybe House of the Devil somewhere around that range. It's about the only other movie I could think of that yeah. like is a slow burn for that long that you're like, okay, well, something's got to happen. This movie's almost over. I don't think you're going to be able to do what you think you can in this amount of time. And no, you did. Well, here's the thing. I want to say something real quick. You brought up house of the devil. Now, you know that you and I both cherish house of the devil, and I'm not going to ask the question of which is better right now, because that's a whole different topic. That's an episode in and of itself. But can we agree? Are we in agreement that regardless of which is a better slow burn film, that the acting in what Josiah saw blows House of the Devil out of the water. It, yeah. I mean, they got Robert Patrick. <laughs> but, I mean, everybody else does and a Nick good Stahl, job, too, I mean, man. Well, 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 Nick Stahl had quit Hollywood for a while. Yeah. And uh, he's been back. At, I don't know if it's been a couple of years at this point, but it's good It's good to see him back because it was funny. As much as like I was like, oh, Robert Patrick, I already knew he was in it. When I was watching with Nicole, like, you got to figure Nick Stahl disappeared for a while. And I saw him and I was like, is that Nick Stahl? I'm like, yeah. no. I was like, no, that guy hasn't acted in a while. And I'm like, that's Nick Stahl. I was like, I got to look this up. I'm like, holy fuck, it's Nick Stahl. I was like, hey, it's it's older, less greasy John Connor. The <laughs> <laughs> so John Connor, it was cooler. Well, uh, for me, I'd have to say that uh, this is a heavy movie. And, uh, Viewers may not, you know, walk away from this one thinking, I'm going to watch that one again ASAP. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, and that's okay. What Josiah Saw is a yeah. film that you simply have to experience for yourself. Um, our guest today, Vincent Grishaw himself, said about the film, um, quote, it doesn't jump off the bat with slasher horror, torture, 
Uh, I think this is the type of movie that you watch and invest in as an audience member. It requires that. And by the end is where you're given the payoff to that investment. And um, I'm going to, um, you know, I really wish that we could talk more about the movie, but for the sake of not ruining it, I'll hold back a lot. Um, but let me start off with the bad, because there's really only one thing that I dislike about the film. And honestly, it's more of a nag than a dislike. But uh, although I appreciate how the score by Robert Heisier, I hope I'm saying that right, um, the score ties the stories together with familiar tones to remind you that these stories somehow tie together eventually. The score reminds you that, you know, they're attached. These stories are attached. However, there's a few scenes where the music starts too soon. And uh, I do not like when movies tell you how to feel with music. The music should enhance, not predict. It's just ill-timed at spots. The scene where Eli in the medium, for example, if the music hadn't kicked in when it did in that scene, it would have been much more effective and creepy. The way that the medium was like reading the tea, putting her hands in it, and, like her face in it, you know, with no music, that would have been creepy as hell. Um, and then, you know, once she sees some shit, the music should have kicked on. Instead, the music tells you from the start that she's going to find something in her reading, and that kind of spoils it. But I do love the music. Like I said, it's just uh, ill-timed at spots. That's a, f- I guess that's a fair criticism. I I personally didn't really notice it that much. Well, um, the the good uh, is There's that a lot. Uh, yeah, is that the acting is truly astounding. Uh, the twist knocks you on your ass, and then it keeps kicking you while you're down. I mean, this movie takes you to the very limit of what a slow burn is. And like we've said before, the trick to a slow burn is having the payoff actually pay off. And it does. By the time the credits roll, you feel like you've been picked up and dumped on your fucking head. What Josiah saw uh, set the bar for me from now on in regards to slow burn. I want to see how many other films can keep up being so good for so long without the viewer knowing what the fuck is going on and with that explosive of a finale. Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler saying that all the stories coincide because I didn't know anything going in. And that's where I was at. I was like, I, I assume these stories are supposed to be tied together, but I don't know how. It almost had a, a like a Tarantino Pulp Fiction like mm-hmm. like 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 feel to the story structure a little yeah, bit because of the chapters and everything. Yeah. yeah, but it wasn't necessarily that way. Where it was like the ending is the the beginnings, the ending, the endings, the beginning type thing. Yeah. It just you're just kind of like how we're all these tied together right right and the the funny thing is is that the whole ending the whole ending is the part of mary's chapter my mary's story that's all the third story a lot of people think that like once uh her and eli reach the farmhouse that like that's like a fourth chapter and it's not the whole third chapter is like from when it picks up it says chapter three mary's mary's story or whatever it's that whole thing to the end credits is all mary's story there is no fourth chapter that apparently was some misconception some people have but uh, what Josiah saw is truly masterful. Uh, masterful in writing, acting, scene setup, everything. This isn't a good movie. It's a great movie. Nine out of ten. Uh, and there's no burn and learn this week. Uh, too many potential spoilers. So let's get right into our interview with director Vincent Grishaw. Today's guest is a writer and producer. He's known for his films Cold Water, Then I Go, and the film that we're here to talk about today, What Josiah Saw. Thank you, Vincent Grishaw. Thank you for being on High on Horror. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm just uh, 
excited to talk to people that have just watched it or, or interested in talking about this one. So yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're and we're we're thrilled to talk about it. Um, before we get started into that, though, I wanted to ask you, uh, what's your stand on uh, cannabis? Are you a smoker? Have you smoked before? Yeah, I mean, I have. Um, I'm not an avid smoker or anything. It, it's sort of a rare occasion if I do, but um, yeah, it's a uh, here and there, uh, maybe once a year type of thing on the right occasion for me. Okay. Um, have you ever have you ever like indulged in edibles or anything like that or do you like when you do do it or is, is it usually like just smoking yeah, it's, cool? I, it's funny man i i've i've i i haven't done that in a really long time but i've in my 30s mid 30s i had a pretty funny edible experience <laughs> it was wow <laughs> I, I i sort of cross into to what i call the planet vortex if if i just happen to the thing i've noticed with i guess cannabis or weed it's once if i just take a hit or two i'm good but if i just cross over it's just it's like spiraled and i'm and i'm in other <laughs> and it's always interesting the time that a couple times that's happened to me uh but so yeah but I'm not afraid of it or anything it's just once in a while it's got to be the right situation for me <laughs> <laughs> understood um okay so uh look what made you want to be a filmmaker you know and you've had a couple acting roles as well uh what made you want to be in like the movie making business like were there any movies that inspired you that made you say i want to do that when i grow up sure i mean the the acting was never a thing i was really pursuing at all it was sort of um like my role in bellflower was because i was producing it and, and all of us we made that movie for so low budget that uh, we just put ourselves in it because we knew it was going to take a, a long time to make it and we didn't know if we'd have access to the actors for that long so we just everyone acted in it and none of us really I mean maybe one or two of the, us in Bellflower had acting experience but it was just something something that we kind of had to do and, and so acting wasn't really ever a pursuit of mine I, I loved it though it was fun to do um I could do it, you know, and if if I had a friend who was making a movie and asked me, I would do it. But um, directing was always kind of my thing. I mean, I think it started, I was writing in um, very young. I, had, I was a fan of movies, like most people are when, you know, around 12, 13, 14, I was, the movies I was watching, I, I started really thinking about how they were made and started writing. And <clears throat> there was a website called Drew Scriptorama back then that I just would download scripts and read them or look at them, see how to format them and started writing scripts, sort of rip offs of movies that I loved. And, but I was doing it, you know, I was, I was, I was being creative and I, I knew it and I liked it, but then I started making stuff and I really liked just the execution of making it more than writing, which is probably why I don't really, I don't write too much, you know, I like it and I'll do it here and there, but I, I, I really love the, to read somebody's thing and fall in love with it and kind of make it my, my own from there. But, um, yeah, I was doing it in high school and it got better. I just got better at making stuff. And by the time I got out, I knew I wasn't going to go to college. So I, I basically had the script that did really well in that first project Greenlight. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, the very first one, it was like yeah, um, two thousand. Was that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon or something? <clears throat> right? Yeah, yeah. It was their first one, and the script I had written 
I was 18, 19, 19 years old. I think it was 18 when I wrote it. And it got into like the top 30, I think, or some some shit. And I just was all oh, nice. like, oh, yeah, this is a big deal. Like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, and I met some people. They wanted to make the movie. And then, so at that point, I was like, okay, you can just skip everything. And if you get a f- movie financed, you just can go and make it. And so for many years, that was my my sort of path. I, I didn't go and work as a PA to climb a ladder or anything. I just kind of kind of just had a, some people that wanted to make it. And through my 20s, while I was working like a regular job arresting shoplifters, I uh, um, tried to get the movie made and got screwed over a lot, had ups and downs and then it kind of led to the making of Bellflower, which me and a few friends made something for so low budget. And then that blew up. That did like Sundance and got Spirit Award noms for us, a couple of them. And it just changed our lives. Like for me, I, and I parlayed that into a sort of directing career from there. And uh, have you always been a horror fan? Absolutely. Like it was, I love all movies, obviously, just but specifically horror was some of the stuff that I had seen early on. Um, one of the genres that I just really loved. Um, I think that started with like, obviously, Halloween's Scream, um, Blair Witch. Uh, and that said, though, there was other movies, you know, I really loved like a Bronx tale or, and, and there was a lot of movies I watched that really influenced me that had nothing to do with horror. But I did. I did love horror. That's awesome. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people we have on here sometimes aren't horror fans, but they make horror movies. So it's good to know that, uh, you know, that you're a fan of the genre and that uh, that always I feel like helps when someone's making a movie, knowing what they're doing, because they know what like the genre has been. And uh, you've never done anything like this. You know, you said that this was the darkest thing that you'd ever make. And uh, what made you decide that what Josiah saw was going to be that film that you allowed to take you there just this once? Right. Well, the content's pretty heavy. Um, there's a lot of themes in there that are, are dark, obviously, and unsettling. Um, I was really interested in how it explored those in a, in, a, in a sort of horrific way. And at that time when I had first read this, God, it was nine years ago, that it was sort of before that new wave of, uh, you know, the, the sort of elevated horror whatever you want to call it uh you know like the babadook or it, <clears throat> it follows uh a lot of uh the, or the witch or there's been there's been a slew of them you know they're mm-hmm. really well-made horror movies in the last 10 years and i knew i was on the right track w- when i came across this script and the it just took forever to get it made so that was unfortunate but i i knew we were on to something like with this kind of quality film that was scary but grounded in uh humanity you know <clears throat> the way it explored the characters like you know it, you don't see that i didn't see that in a lot of horror movies i mean i love certain horror movies that are popcorn flicks or or really scary and jump scares and this didn't really have that but i was so rattled when i finished it. i'm like this is a this is a damn horror movie and I, i've never read anything like it so i just knew i wanted to do it um and 
not to say I won't ever, I do want to do a horror movie again. I just, something tells me this is probably in terms of themes and taboo themes. It's probably the darkest I would do. I don't, I don't really see it getting darker <laughs> than much as I, I could be scarier. Sure. But I don't know about darker. Yeah, I got that. And, uh, you know, you were attached to the project from the start, if I'm correct. Uh, the writer, Robert Diltz, he was actually sending you the script as he wrote it. Have you ever had that type of back and forth on another film or a script with someone else from its conception? And did you send him back any feedback or notes? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, like I said, I'm not I, I have written and directed stuff. But I, I really just love the, the process of reading something that you have no idea what it is. And for me, it's sort of an instinctual reaction I have as an artist with it. I, I just start to really visualize it and I go with my gut with whatever that led me. And I, I've had that, you know, with a couple of scripts. My next film, I had, you know, the writer is fantastic. And yeah, I, I have notes and, you know, you go through and make tweaks and stuff. And I did a lot of that with Robert Diltz on Josiah for many years. I mean, if we made the script when it was in 2013, it would be significantly different in a couple of areas. Um, so as much as it's kind of a pain to wait till you get financing and get it going, sometimes it's a blessing by the time you get it made, it's the best version of it, you know? Right. Totally. Um, that makes total sense. And, uh, did you, like you just said, the movie took six years to get made. Was that, or the pro, I guess uh, the, the script took six years to get in, made into a film. Uh, was that due to how dark the content was or like, is that why you hit walls? Did you hit any walls because of that making the film? Yeah. Um, on top of, I mean, regardless of any movie you try to get made, it, the financing is always, had always been the hardest part to get any movie going, regardless of the theme or genre. This on top of it was a very um, unconventional structure with the chapters. And yes, there's a couple scenes in this movie that are really something people s several times had been like, oh, can you change it or cut it or change it to this and go easier with certain things? And I felt like anybody who was saying that just wasn't right for the movie. And, and I didn't, it didn't spend too much time with that because I knew, I just felt it was so critical to kind of the way the movie moved and ebbed and flowed. Those certain really intense moments were, were critical. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't really entertain that, but yeah, it, it, it had a hard, it made it a little difficult to get it going on top of just invest finding investors in general to say yes. Um, but random X productions who it was, there was, this was their first film, um, loved the script and didn't really have any feedback with that. And they were ready to go right away. Very easy to work with. And they're doing my next film. We're working together on that. And so I've sort of got lucky with finding a group that trusts me and, and, and they're, they're growing and, and they're really creative people that, give you that liberty and and so i'm just grateful to be making movies at this point especially in this climate man you know it's hard to get any movie made even with name actors now it's just tough the, the economy is tough so right um yeah we're excited so and uh the production was kind of a nightmare your airbnb got robbed and the cops set up a sting and busted the guy at the hotel like what got stolen and like how did they like set him up to like arrest him so what happened was is uh <laughs> yeah so it got burglarized and they got a bunch of my producer stuff 
everything uh backpacks laptops uh oh, they didn't get our hard drives thank god um the but just a, a ton of stuff and basically i mean the guy got away with it for a while but then my first ad he got a call from a friend of his and she was like did you just order two hundred dollars worth of schlotchkis fast food <laughs> on my card and she he's like no he's like oh shit but uh we were just burglarizing it. He may have got your credit card. So, yeah, where was that? Where did where was that sent to? So they were able to pin because they had already filed the police report, and so they were able to pin where that order went to, and it was like some shitty motel, and then and the cops just raided it. Oh they wow! Went and, and they busted him, and he had tons of stuff. He was a pro thief. He had somebody's dog. He stole. Oh, wow! He had what? So they got almost everything back for us. Um, I think my producer, he didn't get back like a ring or a watch from his grandfather that had that give, he'd given him. So he didn't get that back. It was probably pawned off. But everything else we got back. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was trench warfare on that movie behind the scenes. A lot of a lot of crazy stuff happened. Hardest movie I've ever done. And uh, did you have COVID affect the shoot in any way? No, we've luckily we finished shooting right before the pandemic. And so I know it's been like three years since then almost, but, and we we just came out this August, but we waited, we had finished editing and color and everything by September, 2020. So it kind of was a, we got lucky because I was in editing, hibernating, editing for most of the pandemic. And then by the time it was finished, we waited about a year. So we didn't want to premiere virtually. We wanted to do the festival circuit in a physical capacity. So we investors were cool, um, and we just waited about a year and premiered at Fantasia, and then did festivals for almost a year. And um, at Fant- after Fantasia, Shutter bought it, but they didn't. We didn't announce the Shutter acquisition for about six months. Okay. So it was we had sold it to them, but we it took a little while. We just waited for the announcement because there wasn't a reason to announce it that far in advance. Okay, that makes sense. Um, well, uh, I actually made a note while watching the film. I've watched it twice now, uh, once with my wife. And uh, I, had to, I made a note that at the one hour and 25 minute mark, that I still had no clue where the story was going or how it was going to pay off. <laughs> but goddamn, does it pay off? I mean, this is a slow burn done right. So I want to know, what do you think the trick is to keeping people invested in a slow, fern, in a slow burn film and not turning it off before the payoff? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I just trusted the script and, uh, you know, how he executed it. I mean, uh, just to be honest, like the first cut of this movie was two hours and 38 minutes. So I knew I had to get it under two hours, somehow under two hours. And I, mean, I felt I had trimmed everything I possibly could. Um, and without really, really compromising characters. And, you know, this is one of those things. Maybe a year from now, I'll look back and be like, oh, I I could have trimmed another five, 10 minutes out. I just, you never really have that luxury when you're cutting and when you're coming down to it, um, you got to finish at some point. And yeah, it's just one of those things that I feel like, and I'm okay with it. It requires the audience full attention. You know, this is not a movie you can kind of get up, put your, take your phone and leave the room to the refrigerator. Like you really have to invest in it to, to reap the benefits and find all the, the Easter eggs and, and stuff like that. Um, 
you know, and in some people it is too slow and that's cool. Like I get it. it it's just, you have to be into this kind of movie. Um, and so I'm glad to hear that you were, you were in and, and, and stuck around and into it. Um, oh, absolutely. It was amazing. I, think, uh, I was like, I don't know where this is going, but it's like the characters have me hooked. Yeah. I, 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 I felt if you invested in that commitment to watch a two hour movie, um, that it, it really gave the characters the necessary uh, depth and like textures to them and, and their decisions to really be along with the ride, you know? Um, and I, honestly, there's not much you can do to prepare for that other than just do your best to execute it and honor the script. And I felt that's what we did. And, you know, you know, hopefully the audiences respond to that and the, the viewers of this one are, aren't expecting something completely different. Yeah, uh, you were saying the original cut was two hours and 38 minutes. Um, do you remember any of the kind of stuff that was like cut from the film? Oh, for sure. I, in fact, I gave I gave Shudder 11, 11 of the deleted scenes. There was a little bit more, but there was like 11 solid scenes that will probably be on like Blu-ray or DVD when, whenever that is. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I if, there's a lot. Um I can get into some, uh, there, there was, um, uh, there's, there's, there's some small things, but then there's some significant like scenes. There was a scene with Thomas, um, sort of roaming doing while he was doing the cleanup of the whole farm property in the first chapter. Mm -hmm. And he encounters a caravan of the carnival and they're passing through town. And so those gypsy carnival, he comes across them because they stop at a dead crow in the road. And he helps them by just taking the crow and throwing it. And it's kind of a funny scene, but you see him meet some of the carnival people there. And it just went on for like two and a half minutes and they help him like start the tractor. And, 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 and so that whole sequence was just, it was cool. But it just it didn't really do what we needed it to do. It didn't drive the story the way that I think it I felt it would at that time. And it's a little too coincidental of him coming across the uh, gypsies um, that Eli ends up meeting. You know, um, that was a big one. Um, Scott Hayes was really fantastic in that scene, though. Um, and then another would be there's a there's a moment when. Um, Mr. Gentry, the guy who was the town, like city councilman that the, the mm -hmm. oil people came and uh, visited. There's a scene where he goes to the farmhouse um, and it's pretty suspenseful. Like you don't, nobody, you don't, he, he shows up and nobody's answering the door and he, he just enters and he kind of roams the house and it's pretty creepy because you hear shit, but and he finds the the mail from the oil people that's been on it's not been opened yet and he sees it's there and he just sees the place and he's calling out for the you know the for the Graham family and um, then he hears some stuff and you see that the front door is open and you, you it's just suspenseful and he 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 walks out and you think something's going to happen to him and you don't really see anything and then it it sort of cuts back to what's in the movie with Thomas and Josiah and you know Tom or it's is after the really intense um, scene that happens to them at the end of the chapter, first chapter. 
Yeah. And they basically taught, you don't, you're kind of confused. Like, well, what happened? What did they do to Mr. Gentry? Did something happen to him? And, um, at the end of the film, you see when Eli gets there, he, he, when he walks to the tree and he's looking at the tree, he looks over and he sees the Jim, Mr. Gentry's there car is there and it's covered with tarp. So he doesn't really know what that means, but the audience is like, Oh shit. Mm. Um, and so he he walks over to the car and sees the keys are in there. But then um, that was sort of the gist of it. But I, I I really didn't care for that because it did a couple things. It, it made it seem like Thomas was a, a killer and just refusal to sell this farm and at all costs and would kill somebody. You know, it just didn't work for me because Thomas's motivations are more pure than that. It's simply like at the end of the day, his his motives were specific to his sisters and his family it had it did it just kind of took the movie in a in a in a more a different direction that i didn't i thought it was sort of silly you know mm. that makes um, sense but it did sort of provide a little closure on the whole gentry thing but i also thought it was just unnecessary i kind of like that you met that the oil guys and gentry once and you never see them again it's like a sort of little small town ghost story you know yeah, yeah totally and, uh, w- but there's a ton more, but you know, you guys can see that on the <laughs> Blu-ray or whatever. Do you have any? Is there any release date on the Blu-ray? Or I don't know. Uh, Shutter said that they're planning something, but um, I don't know. I'll have to okay. keep you guys posted on it. And obviously, we'll post about it when when we when they want to market that. And uh, what are some of your favorite slow burn horror films? Um, God. I mean, you could call the, the Rosemary's Baby, uh, Shining, Exorcist. Those are like the big ones. But um, I really love. I mean, it's it's weird. Like, what is, what's the definition for some people? A slow burn. It, it may not feel like a slow burn to others. Like, Speak No Evil was a good film that came out. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that. I saw that in Finland. I was there for a film festival. Yeah, that's a uh, <clears throat> uh, next week's episode. Uh, we directed uh, Christian Taftrup, the director, and we reviewed the movie. So yeah, we know the movie. That is a slow burn. It's excellent. Yeah, I thought that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, I have a weird taste in movies. Like some movie, like my favorite of the Halloweens, or the ones that were just there's something I pull from that different than others was. I really loved Halloween Six, Curse of Michael Myers, and I re- mm-hmm. the theatrical cut. I really love the Halloween Two, the Rob Zombie Halloween Two. Like, and it's just weird. I I don't know why. Like, so I'll have movies like that. I'm just like, nah, I really like that. I don't think it's like epic or anything, but I just I could watch those anytime because I just they're well made and, and there's something interesting about like characters. That, I don't know. I have a weird taste. I think. <laughs> well, what <laughs> then did I you- like? The <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. No, nothing. I was just, I'm just a fan of movies, man. Like all different types. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, are you a fan of the producer's cut of Halloween six? Not really. I mean, I, I don't feel like they finished it. And I, I, I heard some stuff from the producer. I remember him talking about, it was never really finished with proper score and sound design. It, and it feels it like it feels really rough and, a lot more cheesy to me than 
than the theatrical just there's something about the uh, theatrical that I just really liked because it was the first horror Halloween movie I saw in a theater ever. Okay. I was 14. So that had an impression on me, you know? Um, I just liked it and I liked the sound and the score and the things they did with Michael. He was scary in that one. Like he just was scary. Um, so I, I hated Halloween kills, hated it. Um, but I'll love like Halloween two from Rob Zombie, but not like <laughs> Halloween one from Rob Zombie. It's just weird. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, the thing is, John and I uh, were huge Halloween fans, and when the producer's cut came out, uh, I, I missed the whole VHS thing that they did, and we never got to see the bootleg of it, so it was like it came out on Blu-ray, and we were hype. I remember, like, I think he called off of work, and we got together to watch it, and we were like, man, this is a piece of shit. Like, they did, like, there was this hype about, <laughs> like, there was this hype about it being, like, this, like, great, like, uh, unreleased cut, so, like, all, you know, there, was just, there was, like, this myth about it, this lore to it, where it was like, oh my god, this is gonna be epic. The theaters wouldn't put this out or something and it was terrible (laughs) yeah i felt i I kind of felt that way as well i thought it was silly and what they did with the theatrical was kept it creepy and they didn't really get into too much of the cult stuff and it made it a little scarier and i felt like the they it's almost like with that that movie that producers cut they were just trying to make it as much as the score and the tone of the movie to like the older Halloweens and it just didn't work it just just for me it just didn't work it was silly yeah agreed Um, yeah I I, I still have no clue how Jamie Lloyd had a baby can you I mean Michael Raper you guys tell me that's what's implied in the producer's cut why I just that's some dark shit Uncle Daddy (laughs) Michael Michael I, it just made no sense. Like, but I, I don't know. I still am pissed they didn't cast Danielle Harris for that. She only Jamie wanted a thousand dollars more. Stupid. I, I don't know why they did that. And you know what though? They probably wouldn't have used her in Rob Zombie's versions if she if she wasn't that though. Yeah, fair enough. That's true. Um, probably. I, I have a feeling. Rob Zombie was like, nah, they boned you on that. Let's get you in again somehow. And because they did, they clearly screwed up by not casting her. Yeah, agreed. They kind of did the same thing with uh, Chucky recently, how they recast Andy in Child's Play 3, but now uh, Vince, uh, Alex Vincent's back wow. in the show and stuff to be uh, Andy again. So it's always good when you realize that, you know, casting fucked up and they get it right again. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm a nostalgic person, so. You know, uh, part of me wishes that, I mean, it's not a spoiler or anything, but I, I, I'm trying to come up with, it's probably not even possible, but they should bring back the th- original three for a Blair Witch thing. And I would totally be down to do something with the original actors somehow. And I've, I've got some ideas, but it, it, like, it's something like that. It's like to bring Blair Witch back, it would be like if you can get at least two of the three original people, because I don't think Heather Donahue's acting anymore, and I doubt she would want to do it again. But if you got at least two of the three back, I have a pretty, I would love to kind of tackle something like that, you know? Yeah, that would be awesome. I never say never about Heather. I mean, you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis said she'd never do another Halloween. I think it's all about the writing. I think if the script was right, she'd do it. That would be pretty damn cool to see another Blair Witch movie, too. Yeah, I guess it's probably with her money and, and because using her real name and that everything that happened with Blair Witch really, I think it really messed with her 
and just yeah the career and i know she had said that she wished she never used her real name because it just changed something you know it, it did something to her almost not delegitimizing her acting career but it made it seem like you know what the blair witch was her whole world or something yeah i get that i think she just act you know definitely um all right, so uh, let's get back to what Josiah saw. Um, I wanted to uh, ask, I wanted to say, uh, so you had said that you didn't put too much thought into the farmhouse being a character that you more just focused on the people in the story. So uh, looking back, are you surprised and like proud that the farmhouse became a character on its own organically? Yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, the, the farmhouse was definitely important to communicate a time like uh, in the past you know to feel like i mean we definitely put a lot of scouting to find the right house um and and it had to there's uh, there's so many check boxes with that thing it had to be two stories it had to have a, a big tree right nearby it had to be old it had to have that character to to you know the inside that really just made it feel dated and they're harder and harder to come by but you know, it was one of those things. The second we walked in, it was clear this was the house. And um, I don't know if I meant that this house isn't a character, but it it just felt like we had to find the right house, and we would knew we would know it when we did. And it and the what the the happy accident thing here is you can't really control the time of year you're shooting a movie all the time. And a month before we were at the house, everything was green. Everything. And by the time we're shooting there, everything was dead. And so it just got lucky in that sense, you know, and the house does feel like this is a, 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 a place in time that feels like a memory. And that whole first chapter in me should feel like a memory. You shouldn't really know the grasp of the time period even. And I think that those are little happy accidents, you know, at this budget level, which we just didn't have much money. But everything really worked out when we found that house. Yeah, that's yeah I'm awesome. glad that people feel like it's a it's a haunted character. You know, it is a kind of character. You know, you're right. Um, you know, there's a lot of sound design put into just scenes in that house of it creaking, and you hear things when you shouldn't. And there's a lot of that throughout it. And so, um, yeah, I'm, we're lucky. That house, though, inside was painted blue for some reason, and so we spent a ton of money changing the wallpaper like putting wallpaper painting it painting the insides differently it was odd i was like whoever painted the inside of this crown molding house blue it was insane <laughs> that, that's kind of a bitch because after putting wallpaper on then you have to like age it and stuff too right you had to weather it because it couldn't look like yeah. brand new so that's even more work <laughs> yeah stephanie reese our production designer definitely had to do a lot of that and um it was weird too when we walked in there was thousands of wasps dead wasps nests everything we had to have the whole thing like the exterminator come in and get rid of it all but i was like leave the dead wasps i want dead wasps <laughs> everywhere <laughs> <laughs> well um you had uh you had kind of alluded to a certain uh, uncomfortable scene earlier in this interview uh i wanted to ask you how uh everybody in the film is obviously professional it's a well shot film um, it's well acted film how hard was it filming a scene like that you know the porno mag scene and i imagine as a director you were like let's just get this done and move on as fast as we can yeah pretty much i mean it it it's one of those things when 
when in in pre-production when people are reading it it's like really a, a conversation it's it's really you know it was a lot of talk about it between the actors i mean i i got turned down from many actors for the josiah role essentially because of that stuff um and they all pretty much were like don't change the scene i just can't go there um, okay so i'm gonna pack but you know i think it you know it was Michael Parks, we had cast, and he was down for anything. That dude's crazy. But I loved him. He's great. But he, unfortunately, had passed away. So that was in 2015. I'm sorry um, to hear that. Yeah, Michael Parks is crazy. He's awesome. I don't know if you guys seen him in Red State. He was so yeah. good. Yep. Um, the, um, but, you know, we, we had talked to uh, a couple other guys. John Travolta, actually, I was talking to for a little bit about playing it and he had a concern about that scene, but you know, um, it would have been really interesting, different, different sort of movie. Um, but Robert, you know, he was even reluctant about the scene and we had to talk through it. And I think most of these actors just want to know they're in good hands with the material and how it's going to be done. Right. And I get it, you know, this done the wrong way that that scene's a freaking mess. Um, but yeah, we got in there and on the day it was sort of like, all right, here, here's the old porno magazine <laughs> and uh, just put the cameras on them and didn't shoot a lot and got what we needed. And I thought we did it in a way that kept it really raw. And by, at some point, I know Robin and Scott just like, we don't want we don't want to do this anymore. We're done. I, <laughs> I like, can imagine. Got it. Understood. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of uh, one of my friends had showed up to uh, see some of the film, like shooting, and showed up that day. He walked in, and we were shooting that scene, and he's like, "What? What are you guys?" <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. Oh, but, that's wild. You know, we got it. And I, I'm really happy with how that scene came out because it's very effective and uncomfortable. But I think we did it right to where it's not. It's not a shock value scene. It's not trying to just do something to get you. There's a lot going on in that scene for the story and the characters and their history. Yeah, agreed. And and uh, it was definitely done. It was well done. I always refer to um, uh, like you know, like there is no such thing as a good rape scene. You know, like so I'm not saying that at all. But I always refer to the yeah. um. The Hills Have Eyes remake, the Alex Aja remake, the the trailer scene, like they the way that they allude to the rape without showing it, it's like that's stronger than showing it a lot of the time. So I like with a lot of times when you can film things like that, like uncomfortable things, in more of like a classy way, you can get away without showing. Like you don't need to go there if you film it right. People get what's going on and they don't want to go there. You know what I'm saying? So like it was yeah. it was well shot. It's definitely well done. Yeah, and and, and to that point, like. It, to me, why this scene is so critical, one of the reasons outside of the characters and wh why that's necessary, we I knew we were switching gears, and the audience doesn't know this, but we're switching gears into another chapter. So as, un as uncomfortable as that is, having that scene be so strong and uncomfortable gives you permission and like reason to go, get me out of here. Like I don't want to be at this farmhouse. It's only been 30 minutes. Get me out of here. What, what the hell? Like, right. I can't take two hours of this shit so when that switch of gears happens it 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 really it, it almost saves you in a way and you go okay where are we going now thank god we're not at that farmhouse 
and then you can um it kind of takes them on this other other adventure i think if it wasn't that intense of a scene in eli's chapter they would have been like well what's going on at the farmhouse like what i want to, I want to see what's going on there like it would have had an effect like that i think and it would have hurt the movie um right. so i liked that as a device because even as a reader when that happened i was like man this is fucked up yeah right <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so, yeah totally so, um yeah well um all of the performances in this movie are fucking stellar i mean uh to me especially tommy played by scott hayes i mean he stole the show in my opinion like he was i was blown away by his acting i truly was like i actually was looking up other shit he was in after watching the movie because i'm like dude this this dude's fucking skilled and uh his character you know tommy it's he's utterly heartbreaking yet you're you're you know scared to see him because of how unstable he is um i just you know just incredible performances incredible acting yeah, no, I mean he's a he's a lived-in performer for sure. Um, I don't know if you've seen him in Child of God. That's the no, movie I, I, I saw that I was like, he's the guy. You should watch that if you like his acting in this. Um, it's a James Franco film, Cormac McCarthy novel adaptation, okay. and it's a weird movie. It's not not a great movie by any means, but Scott's performance I think is what got him on a lot of people's radar, including myself. Um, definitely worth a watch um and yeah there's a ton of stuff if you watch him in this movie there's a little a lot based on the whole ending and how things come together like you'll see a lot of the prep he put in everything leading up to that um you know like a lot of people have have feelings about what you know is he mentally challenged like what what is he and there's all the answers in his performance for sure well, uh, did Scott or uh, Robert Patrick or anyone improvise lines or bounce ideas off of you, or was everybody just like following the script? Honestly, everyone pretty much followed the script. I don't remember anything specific where people improv. I know Scott, he would do a lot of character things like mumbling to himself, and those are all him. But in terms of like the meat of a scene, they were always pretty much what it was in the script. Tony Hale in Mary's chapter, he, he would in, inject a tiny bit of, you know, little jabs of humor here and there, um, but subtle stuff. But yeah, no, everything, everyone, I think, was just really excited about the script and it wasn't that kind of improv type movie. So little things would happen here and there, but now nah, for the most part, specifically Robert Patrick wanted to honor the script, uh, the way Josiah was written almost word for word. And uh, Robert Patrick it took the role after some hesitation. Um, and then, he, uh, from what I understand, he asked you to send him your film that you were most proud of, and you sent him, and then I go. And then he was on board. Uh, was it just that one scene in particular that was his hesitation to take the role, or was there anything else with the character? <clears throat> I think it... Well, the scene, obviously, is some of it. But no, I think it's just decisions to make a movie like this for this low budget, you know, you're not going to make much of any money. It's a commitment, you know, it really is. And so I, I respect actors. They, they put a lot before they commit to a movie of any sort, because, you know, this is time, like this is time, this is money out of their pocket doing a, a movie like this. And so, um, I think it's just, he, he you know, it's, it, it could be as simple as somebody, I don't remember this specifically, but if 
he may have not seen uh, you know his family in a while maybe he doesn't he was he was on a film but right before mine so he was going to go from my that film to mine basically and so a lot of those factors go into it and and i think I think him seeing my film at least provided him some like, all right, this guy's going to tackle this in a mature way. This isn't going to be a sort of stylized, crazy, ridiculous movie. Like I wanted that approach. And I think, you know, in our meetings on the phone, he was sold on it. Um, but yeah, I think if the, my previous movie wasn't good, he wouldn't have done it. And uh, Nick Stahl and Kelly Garner, uh, they were both in a film before this that I think is very underrated. It's the 2001 movie Bully. Have you seen that film? Oh, yeah. I saw that in the theater at the New Art in 2001 in L.A. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Larry Clark's film Kids. Um, Bully, I didn't like it as much as Kids, but it's it's a great movie. Like, There's a lot going on. Yeah, I remember I was like 15 or 16 one night couldn't sleep had school the next day and this came on like hbo at like one o'clock in the morning i'm like fucking like blew my mind as a teenager yeah yeah and speaking about well done rape scenes like nick stall in that movie when that scene where there's the rape scene he he is so terrifying in it and that was interesting to see because nick's an inherent like sweet guy really caring sweet gentle person yeah and he's so, just such he's, such a prick in that movie this is a monster i yeah. mean and it's I good that he's back acting again sorry i was saying it was good it's good that nick's back acting again absolutely yeah i'd always been a fan of him and i know he had been back for about a year at the time when we did this and uh he brought something to the eli character that definitely was not in the script so he brought a little less, like Eli was written a little more cocky and in really great shape. Wasn't so much of a drug user as he was a seller. He was a small town Adonis, like shredded, really good looking, just would have sex with everyone in town and just get into trouble with gambling. So Nick brought this other quality that I just felt elevated it and you, you'd have more sympathy and uh, or empathy to go along with the ride with him, you know? He has these kind of qualities in him that I thought elevated Eli. And uh, lastly, I gotta ask: you might not want, you might not answer it, but is that one character? Are they a ghost, or is it a figment of a uh, imagination? Uh, in terms of like the one, <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is the kind of thing where what I loved about this material is 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 the perspective manipulation agenda manipulation like who you know who unreliable narratives but to me what i really loved and what gravitated it to me was you can have the the, the idea that the um trauma is what manifests itself like we scare ourselves when we get home at night after seeing a scary movie we think we see something we we do these things to ourselves, and most of the time you know mm -hmm. and so the incidents in this movie to me really play with that um without you know I, i'm not gonna go into like what i feel things are but it kind of strips the mystery from you guys and, and other people watching it but I will say the things that I love about filmmakers that I respect out there, like they'll take that sort of 
this could be a potentially somebody going mad concept. Maybe it's not even a ghost. Maybe it is. But then it throws wrenches in there, you know, like in The Shining, like who unlocked the freezer door for Jack Nicholson, right? Yeah. Somebody, something, he couldn't get out there without that. But this, that movie was about a man, you know, going, losing his mind, right? Or sort of those visions and things he's seen, I think could be a manifestation on, on, in his own mind. But somebody unlocked the freezer door. So he throws a wrench in there and says, fuck you. So <laughs> I, that's what I, I love about that. You know, it really plays with those sort of things. So, I mean, I like people taking away different things from it too, you know, and, and I don't know if there's a wrong sort of perspective, but um, I like hearing about it, you know. And uh, we want to thank you for being on again today. It was a real pleasure getting to talk to you. But uh, do you have any upcoming projects? Yes, sir. And I and I really appreciate you guys' time. Anytime, you know, people see this and want to talk, I'm just grateful, you know. Um, so thanks. Uh, my next film I'm doing, uh, we're going right into pre-production right now, actually. Um, and uh, it's... It's not a horror. It's a drama with uh, a lot of dry humor, comedy in it. Um, sort of like if you, uh, in the world of like the wrestler and Fat City, you know. Okay. I don't okay. know if you guys Fat City, but um, yeah, it's about a retired boxer who's left with his grandson, uh, and he starts to train him. And this retired boxer has sort of got a chip on his shoulder for a past rival of his who's like running for mayor. Um, and so, yeah, we're going right into that right now with the same, uh, team random mix, um, to do it. So very excited. It's one of the best scripts I've ever read written by Will Janowitz. So couldn't be more excited about this one. And I hope, you know, I do want to do horror again. So I hope I come across a great script again one day and come right back. Yeah. We definitely love to see you do horror again. And uh, where can people keep up with you online? I'm on, uh, sparingly, I'm on uh, Instagram, uh, Optical Railroad. Optical Railroad. That is my Instagram. Um, and I'm on Facebook as well, under my name. Um, I don't really do much social media, so, uh, but I'm there. All right. And uh, yeah, again, thank you for joining us. Um, if anybody hasn't seen What What Josiah Saw, make sure to check it out on, on Shudder. Yeah, thank you again, Vincent. It was a pleasure. Hopefully we'll talk again in the future. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in. Thank you to Vincent Grishaw for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, man. And, uh, Make sure to follow us on social media, High on Horror 420, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and uh, we'll make sure to have the newest uh, guest announcement out for you. And uh, you can always check out our website, highonhorror.com. And I uh, think that'll about wrap her up. Catch you later. See you, everybody.